Fantastic. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Just Two Dads with my co-host, Sean Francis. I am Brian Altunian, and uh, today's special guest, this is going to be a real conversation. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat prepped for this conversation, but uh, we're going to hear from a, from a warrior mom. Um, I think it's going to blow your mind, so be prepared here today on Just Two Dads. Awesome. Well, welcome again, everybody. I would like to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, if you're joining us live on Facebook, uh, we want to hear from you. Or if you're catching us on other uh, podcasts, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get uh, podcast outlets, welcome. We hope you can add value. Please contribute and share. We're happy to have this be an engaged conversation. When Sean and I started this conversation really five years ago, we literally were just two dads talking about our shared experiences of being parents of special needs children. And, um, and the more conversation we had with other people who were servicing and serving that community, the more that we realized that this is a community that has, there's an opportunity for a lot of collaboration, integration, and sharing common experiences. And so for all of our viewers and our listeners who have caught our, this is our 51st episode, we're pretty excited about that. We're almost at 52. Uh, started started this podcast about a year ago. Uh, we've expanded to not only podcasts, but we're also on WSTX radio um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands and soon to be uh, live on um, on, a, on a Roku channel about empowered media. So we're pretty excited about the reach. So hopefully we're engaging folks in conversation about what it's like to be a member of and to serve and support the special needs community. So um, excited about today's conversation. Before we get to our special guest, I want to say hello to uh, to my partner in Thrive and my business partner, my colleague Sean Francis. How are you doing today, Sean? I am. Every every time I get ready to answer that, I, I'm thinking people are out there saying he doesn't really feel that way. He says that every week, <laughs> but I, I I am blessed and eternally grateful. You know, I was having a good day to begin with, but as we get ready for the show, I was like, oh, it's almost that time, and I get kind of charged up. And so, um, I'm I, I'm grateful. And our guest today is. Uh, None other than uh, Miss Michelle Hobgood. Michelle, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, you know, I, we like to tell people that, you know, when we have people on the show, we tell them that it, it's their show. We're just here to facilitate. We created this to shine a light on people in the community and uplift them. You know, and as the longer we do this, um, you'll have names that are bigger in terms of recognition, some that are, that are you know, not as much so, but each person in spirit is huge in terms of what they do. And I know that um, that most definitely applies to you in our conversation. So you've got a bunch of different things that apply to your journey <laughs> and special needs. And so let's talk about, um, you know, every hero has an origin because that's where your powers come from. And for most of us, our powers come from, uh, you know, our family for some, in some cases, the powers um, help us, <laughs> In some cases, they hinder us just a little less, but they dictate what kind of parent we become and ultimately what kind of, quote unquote, special needs parent we become. And I want to preface one thing. In the course of the show, we've found ourselves saying that, you know what, there is no such thing as special needs. There's only human needs. Everyone has the same need. Everyone needs to know that they're loved, that they are heard, that they're seen, and that they matter. If you have a disability um, as a result of a diagnosis or catastrophic injury, you may need more of the same thing that everyone else needs in terms of some accommodation, but there is no such thing as special needs. Now, with that being said, 
there are different things that take place, you know, based on a person's experience as a single mom, as a woman, period, as a woman of color, as a woman of color who has found her way towards um, making her own income by creating a business on her own time and her own schedule, which is something we'll talk about as well. And finding your path from a single parent to marriage and that with an interracial marriage is a bunch of different things. So let's start with the origin yeah. and everything. Um, we're not the one thing, yeah, not we, we, always, we, never, we always hit the hour and we're like, yeah, we, we never have enough time. So but let, let, let's start there and in. start with the other thing that at least you and I have in common, which is our background uh, being from the Caribbean. Right, right, yeah. So hello everyone. Um, that was quite an introduction there. Uh, I will say that the fir first off, I consider myself to be what you call an OG autism parent. Um, my son is 27 years old and many times people think that we are siblings and that I am not his, mo his mother, including one of my neighbors the other day who just completely said, yeah, how, how's your brother doing? And she's lived <laughs> in this building for like 10 years and all this time she thought my son was my brother and that the home health aide was actually his mom. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. That's a huge compliment to you. I mean, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, for people listening, you're in New York, right? In uh, where in, in in this in New York City? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. In yeah. Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Little 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 Caribbean. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, with regards to my son, I actually had my son when I was a freshman in college, um, and it was quite an experience because. I was the first person in my family to go to college, a four-year college. Uh, my mom went to, she left Trinidad and came here and she went to Fashion Institute of Technology. I don't know if anyone knows that, but it's like FIT. It's a mm -hmm. prominent fashion school in New York City. And my family, um, I come from a line of seamstresses and tailors. So my mom went to school for that. Um, but I was the first one to be in, you know, to go to a four-year school. So when I popped up pregnant in my freshman year, uh, let's just say that, that did not <laughs> that did not go over pretty well with my mom. You know, I was I was 19 and a half, and I, you know, my mom was just like, what, you know, it was at the end of my freshman year, and she's just like, what are, what are you doing? Like, what's happening here? So my family was not happy. My my extended family as well. There was just like this bet, like what's going to happen with Michelle? You know, she's going to be a single parent. You know what's going on this is this is not good and i was they had me destined for just just the worst you know like if you mm. have a baby at 19 your life's over basically um but i totally proved them wrong <laughs> because that's not what happened um i will say that having my son at such a young age it was um quite an experience uh in the way that i was treated um i had really good prenatal care but my son came early. He came like a, hmm. a month early. And mm -hmm. the doctor that I was seeing was actually on vacation. So I ended up at a public hospital, uh, not the best hospital here in Brooklyn, Brookdale Hospital. And I did not know anything about labor and delivery. Hmm. Whereas nowadays you, you're in labor, oh, I'm gonna go to the hospital and I'm gonna have my labor there. Uh, that did not happen. Um, I was, I went to the hospital. I said, I'm in labor. I got sent home three times. Yep. 
And they said, come back when you're dilated. Right. <laughs> so the fourth time I said, look, I'm not going anywhere. And they finally admitted me. And my son's father, he was there with me. Um, and it wasn't the best experience for me. I had mm -hmm. this like an on-call doctor who was also another black Caribbean man who just was not nice, you know, yeah. my labor uh, and delivery. He told me not to scream, not to yell, to be quiet. Wow. Uh, yes, he talked down to me. It, it was basically just like a really horrible experience. Um, very traumatizing, which, which to this day, I'm not a fan of hospitals. <laughs> so my delivery wasn't really the best. Um, once I had my son, because he was born prematurely, there were several things wrong with him. He had microcephalia. Um, mm. He had to stay in the hospital for about two weeks um, until he was able to um, feed correctly. He was an incubator. Um, and my mom actually was away at the time when I had my son because no one was expecting me to give birth a month early. Sure. So <laughs> my mom was actually in Canada at Caravana, uh, which is like a popular Caribbean, Caribbean um, festival. Yeah, yeah. In, in yeah. Canada. So in Canada of all places. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She wasn't there to help me and support me and advocate for me at the hospital. I was just basically just me and my son's dad. Um, so she came home. We, we left the hospital, my son, you know, he came home with me and fast forward a couple of, uh, you know, months later, my mom is just kind of like, you know, your son is not doing certain things that he should be doing, you know, for, you know, a baby of this age, he's not hmm. rolling over it this way. He's not doing this, this time. And only and, a couple months old at the time. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I was 20 years old when he was born. So, you know, I was, I had dropped out of school. I was home, I was working part-time. And I knew that because he was premature that he may have had some delays. Sure. He also was born with two um, inguinal hernias and he had like skin tags on the side of his ears. So at three months old, he had surgery to correct the hernia and to remove the skin tags. Hmm. But he was doing fine up until then. So after my mom kept forcing me and forcing me to, you know, have him tested, have him checked out, because I would go to his regular checkups and the doctor was like, oh, you're, you know, he's, uh, he's getting big or he's doing well, but they would never say to me, your son's not hitting these milestones. So it was my mom pushing me to send him to a neurologist and we did some testing and I will never forget the day I went in and did the testing. It was another doctor. Uh, not a black, not another, not a black Caribbean doctor, but just a doctor in a clinic affiliated with the hospital where he was born, and it just was a lackluster experience. They didn't ask me many questions. They they did the testing they were supposed to do. I went back in for the results, and the doctor sat me down, and it was just very matter of fact. Like, yes, your son has um, developmental delays. He is at the time they used the word retarded. They said he's mentally retarded. They said that. Yes, it's actually, it was on the paper. And you have to remember that this is 27 years ago. I know. That's one thing that I was going to ask so, you. Because one thing we always talk about is, because Brian's daughter, Jordan, is just, uh, you know, a little younger. And even by five years, you know, th the services you have change. The way people mm -hmm. treat everything changes. You know, so, but still, even though you're going back 27 years, 
And I know that once upon a time, like, we didn't even use the term the R word. It was just okay. Because when I was a kid in school, it, it, it didn't have the same it still blows me away. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. It, it said mental retardation, uh, e uh, extreme mental retardation. That was the term. Uh, that they used. Yeah. yeah. Developmentally delayed, uh, pervasive developmental disorder, microcephalia, you know, like just all the jargon and I'm 20 years old. So he's just reading down all the stuff and he goes, yeah, just sign him up for the clinic to see the neurologist and thanks for coming. Not, not okay. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's talk about this, not, there's no sense of anything of like, let us try to comfort this parent. And it, I, I always say when I tell this story that it's just kind of like, someone's telling you something and you hear them talking, but it's their voice is an echo. Right. We say it was Brian like says that all Brown. the time. It's like a right. Charlie Brown card. Wah, wah, exactly. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. And sense. I just, I just sat there and I heard this doctor talking to me. And I just, I, every time I tell a story, I get emotional. I just kind of like, okay. And I took the paper and I left. So I'm 20 years old. I'm a freshman out of college. I'm a young mom. I have a Caribbean a parent who like has no one. There was one other person in our family in Trinidad that had um, Down syndrome, mm -hmm. um, but that was it. And on my son's father's side, he didn't have anybody in his family line that had any kind of special needs or developmental disabilities or anything of the nature. So my mom, I went home, I explained to my mom what happened. And she says, well, does he have Down syndrome? And I said, no, mom, he has autism. He has, you know, the, I went through, I showed her the paper and she says, but I don't understand what is autism? What is this? Like she didn't understand any of it. So he started going to early intervention as, as young as I think he was about two years old, they would come and pick him up, you know, the yellow bus here in New York City with transportation. They would put him in the in the um, car seat on the bus and they would take him off to a, like a small preschool that was owned by a Jewish organization, uh, Hebrew Academy for Special Children. I'll never forget it. And he stayed in that school from the sec from two years old all the way until he was to 12 years old. Wow. Um, and he did really, really well there. Um, but I always credit my mom with, you know, at first when my mom would nudge me and say, you know, she would say in her voice, something wrong with that child, that child, something ain't right. You know, like she would, <laughs> you know, she would come up in her, in her Caribbean accent and just, Michelle, I, I, that's something wrong with this child, you know? And, you know, she would just say, you know, and that was just her way. And I would just listen to her and I'm like, I knew something was wrong because I had other friends who had brothers and sisters that were babies around our age or other friends. Cause none of my friends had kids at that age. Right. Most of right. my friends were like in college, <laughs> you know, living me, in college life. Did you go to, did you go to grade school at least in Trinidad? How old were you when you came to New York? So actually I was, I was born here in America mm -hmm. and I, at three years old, my mom wanted to go to FIT, like she wanted to go back to school and my dad right. was working. So they actually sent me to live in Trinidad with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. okay. And I stayed in Trinidad from the time I was three mm -hmm. until I was six. And when I was six, I came back to America and started the first grade. So okay. for me, my experience is even though I am American and I was born here, 
I have that experience of coming from Trinidad. That's my earliest memory. Right. Starting a school in America with uh, what we call what 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 Americans would call a coconut accent. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids mm-hmm. made fun of my accent. Uh, they called me a coconut. They called me African booty scratcher, like all types of names oh that they would call people that don't have an American accent. And these are um, black people that were calling you that. Yes, too, probably, right? yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I was going to a a um, a private school for for black black people where mostly Caribbean children, you know, were, you know, they were kids of, of Caribbean immigrants that they, but they right. wanted, they didn't want to send their kids to public school. So right. back then it was only just like an, a Protestant school for like Caribbean Protestants or Catholic school. Those are the only here, two private schools available. Here's the reason why I asked, because going back to the R word, right? Yeah. When I, when I was a kid, and I think I don't think this is limited to the Caribbean, but this is my experience, because by the time I came to state to the States, I was like in high school. But in the Caribbean, and from what I understand, it you know hasn't changed a whole lot. When you're going to school with someone that has special needs, it's something to not either not take seriously or make extreme fun of. Right, right. right? And so, and I was going to ask you, was that any different in, you know, in your environment growing up where that is what took place as well? Um... Yeah, I mean, it was it was more about the make fun of, you know. Yeah, I remember yeah. in high school, you would even growing up in high school, you are hearing songs on the radio. You know, mm-hmm. it was like the blood of like come of comedians and rap hip hop songs, and yeah. it was just normal to say the word retard, right? You know? And and it would just be like, oh yeah, and or even you know like just making fun of someone to their face because they oh, have. Yeah. You because know, you figure they can't, yeah, they can't defend yeah. themselves. They don't know, or using the word to define to define anything that didn't make sense. Oh, that's retarded. Like right, once upon a right. time, not only was that okay with me, I might have mm-hmm. said that once upon a time. You know, obviously that's not the case now, and I think that that's yeah. where there's a, a a teachable moment for a bunch of people. But I'm sorry, continue with your. Well, I just going to add that like that that terminology. Initially, I mean, the, the the term to retard or retardation is is the slowing Stunt. or the pulling back. Mm-hmm. Right. So from a clinical perspective, they, they say development has, has been retarded. It's it's describing the you know the development process. And so, right. if you've got challenges, you know, issues, that in essence, that's what's happened. The, it was the made development of has been retarded, and the challenges that people took that word and have now used it to describe. It wasn't intended to be. You know, right. used that way, but unfortunately, right. we've adopted that, and it's a and, and, and it's a terrible word. And you're right; it continues to be used in derogatory, you know, terminology. And you know, again, I'm glad yeah. we're having conversations these days where 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 people are being more more sensitive about that that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. by the way, last thing I was going to say, Michelle, is my my mother was the same as your mom without the that's what I was thinking coconut accident. My mom was the one who nudged me that that Jordan was having some some delays, and I'm uh, like, leave me alone. Yeah, uh, so I totally can relate to that. I totally yeah. Can. I, I just didn't. I didn't want to believe her, and I didn't want to Neither. accept. Yeah, I didn't want to accept that something was wrong with my child. But I knew deep down that something was wrong because he was born prematurely. You know, his head was really small. He had had the surgeries, um, and even when when my son came out, the doctor the doctor that delivered him, he like looked at my son, like held him up, and was just like, "What's wrong with this? Something's wrong with this baby. Like, what's wrong with this baby?" And the experience, anyway, I'm not going to like go Horrible. dive into it. Oh my but, gosh. 
you know, like I, and I always kept that in the back of my head, like, is my baby okay? Like, what's wrong with my, you know, like I automatically always remembered him saying that and I internalized that like something's wrong with my baby. So when my mom would just nudge me each, you know, milestone, why is this not happening? You know, I didn't always want to come to terms with it, you know, but back to what you were saying about the word retarded, um, that's something that I actually never used because I had a cousin with Down syndrome and I hated that. And even when I would go back to Trinidad every summer, my mom would like ship me off back to Trinidad for the summer. She's like, I want my summer mm -hmm. to myself. By the time the next day after school was over, it was like, I had my suitcases, I was in JFK and I was back to Trinidad. So even though I was living in America um, from six all the way on, my seventh, I mean, you know, first, second grade, third, like all the way up until like basically high school, I was going to Trinidad or either like Toronto and Canada to visit family. Every summer mm -hmm. I was someplace else. Hmm. And I remember that when I would go back to Trinidad, my cousin, Teddy, um, he was the one that had Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, the way that people would act in Trinidad towards him, they would make fun of him mm -hmm. um, or they would just kind of like think that he was stupid, that he couldn't do anything, that he didn't know anything. And he could talk really well. He, he you know, his, his mom was very, make, make sure he was independent. And I, I always had like a soft spot for, so as I got older and I would hear my friends saying stuff like that, I would just kind of be like, that's not, I'm not, no, that's not funny. I'm not laughing at that. And yeah. to this day, sometimes there are people around me that say, Oh, that's so retarded. That's what I'm talking about. And I'll exactly and I'll just be like, um, and they know they Your know situation. that I have some special needs. And I'll have to kind of like say, hey, that's not a good word to say. That word's actually offensive. Um, you know, I was telling Sean in our conversation that without you know going too deep into it, where even in a working environment, I've been in situations where I'm very vocal when I have a job that I have a son with special needs and I make it clear to everyone. So it, because if you don't tell people and they make jokes like that, not only does it show who they are, <laughs> but if you let people know ahead of time, hey, this is my life and this is my story, they might be more sensitive to not say it around you. So when it is said around you, after you've disclosed that you're a special needs parent, it kind of hurts even more, but it gives me the okay to just be like, um, no, that word's not okay. No, it's not retarded. I don't use that word. That word's actually kind of offensive. Um, we're not using that term anymore. It never should have been used. And and then be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I just really have to just work on changing my vocabulary and blah, blah, blah. I've literally stopped being friends with people because of that. Um, and it's something that I'm very serious about. And even in work environments, I've had to like, have a very uncomfortable conversations in a work environment and say like, you know, special needs slurs. None of these things are funny. It's not, it's not to be a butt of a joke. Um, and they're not, and not everyone's comfortable with standing up like that and saying that to people that are your coworkers and sometimes your superior <laughs> at a place that pays you. But, you know, it's a matter of, you know, it's just, it's just not cool, you know? So yeah. yeah. I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> that's okay. That's guaranteed. That's, that's guaranteed with us. With us. Yeah. 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 That's but okay. in, in keeping in, in that vein, because what I want to do is then talk about your, so you're at this point, a single mom and you're um, dealing with, you know, uh, with your son's development and going through everything. Tell us about 
that the path that you took from there to your career and then eventually from no longer being single and that whole dynamic as well. Right. Okay. So with that, I, my, my son's father was in the picture for some time, just like part-time helping out. Um, that did not go over too well eventually with, in regards to our relationship. And I'm not going to disclose much more than that, but <laughs> It, it, it did not work out between the both of us. And I was pretty much left to my own devices and taking care of my son. Um, mm -hmm. I, although I had dropped out of school, I went back to live with my mom. Eventually I moved out. Uh, I went back to school. I, I got my associate's degree. Then I got my bachelor's degree. Then I got my master's degree in exercise science. Um, I've spent the past almost 20 years in the fitness industry, um, mm -hmm. in corporate fitness, most likely, most most really more of like corporate health centers where employees would go to exercise and, you know, work out, take Rebex classes. Um, my, the longest place that I've been has been at HBO in their health and fitness center here in New York City. Um, then we turned into Warner Media. I've worked at Emblem Health and Credit Suisse, you know, all types of like corporate fitness centers. Um, but prior to that, I was in the fashion industry for a while, and I was able to kind of uh, juggle being a single parent and working at the same time. It was not easy. Mm -hmm. um, my mom continued to help me with my son. So for, for a, a long time, almost, I don't know, maybe like 12 years, I was a single parent working two jobs, three jobs, or always, I was, I'm always juggling more than one thing because not only do I want to live my life, I wanted to thrive. And I refuse to just be put into this box that my life is just about being a special needs parent. I am a, you know, a vibrant black woman. And at the time I was single, I would try, I would find a way to travel. Um, mm -hmm. I would find a way to go, you know, go out with my friends. I would get babysitting. My mom babysit my son, or I would use respite services, camp, I, you know, summer camp, things of that nature. And I would plan my travel around summer camp. And, yeah. you know, I was just like, yeah. look, I, this is the situation I'm in. My son is disabled. Yes. But I still need to find happiness for me outside of just being a parent. Um, so I would just be, I would just try to juggle it all. I would work, I would travel, I would date, I would just do whatever I could. And I feel mm -hmm. like that was really important in order for me to be a whole person for my son. I Perfect. needed to be happy. Yeah, yeah. I needed to be happy. So I continue to just try to live my life, do the best that I can work, have a career. Um, I met my husband through a friend at <laughs> a, a Lauren Hill concert here in Brooklyn. Let that, me tell you something. Just, just, I just want to make, you'll see when you look at the playback, you're going to see, this is where we have to meet him eventually, because you're having the conversation about, I needed to do this. I needed to do that. I needed to do that. And you went, and I met my husband and the light <laughs> just came on. So I think that's fantastic. Continue. Continue. As bright as can be. He still makes me smile. I love him. He he does get on my nerves because we're like about almost 12, 13 years in. But, you know, we, hey, it's real life because I don't know yeah, anyone who has a perfect it. marriage. <laughs> yeah, if your right. marriage is perfect, God bless you if you have a perfect no, marriage. If it's perfect, you're not real. <laughs> right. Something right, right. right. <laughs> so I I met my husband actually going out and being social. 
Um, a friend of mine invited me to, here in Brooklyn, we would have these summer Wingate summer concerts. Um, and Lauren Hill was actually performing for free at this concert. And I'll never forget, it was so hot, uh, but she was notoriously late. And that was one of the first times that she started off being late for things. Yeah. We, we waited we waited three hours and she still had oh not come gosh. out. Yeah. And mm. that whole time my friend showed up, she showed up with my, you know, my husband and he was visiting her um, from North Carolina. They went to college together. And whenever he mm -hmm. went to travel to New York, he would crash on her sofa. Right. And she's like, oh, you know, come on, come with me. We're going to go meet my friend, Michelle. And it was him, my my friends and another girlfriend. And the three of them showed up. And when I saw him, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, who is that? Like, he's walking down the street towards me with my friend. And he's like really tall and like ball headed and like, you know, just like just standing out in that neighborhood if you're like a white guy because back then the neighborhood was not integrated as it is now in brooklyn especially in crown heights so yeah. someone like that is gonna be like you know people are gonna be like and he <laughs> yeah i mean and he was quite he was very attractive and <laughs> he showed up and he smiles at me and i'm like oh hey how you doing and we just start talking and you know, the other young lady is there along with my friend. Now I know he's not dating my friend, obviously, but the other young lady is there. I don't know like what their dynamic is and, and I'm not gonna go and ask like, hey, what's going on between you two? Yeah. You know, yeah, like I noticed that he's attractive. I find him attractive. I'm nervous a little bit, but I noticed he's just talking to me the whole time, asking me questions. He's from North Carolina. He says, he asked me, so do you throw down in the kitchen? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, this guy's asked me if I can cook. He just met me like 10 minutes ago. And yeah, and yeah, he's just like, we're just talking and talking and talking the whole time. And then eventually the time passes and I now have to go and pick up my son from the babysitter because, you know, he's with, at the babysitter. So I yeah. leave and I go, go home and, uh, you know, that's basically it. And my friend that introduced us the next day, she calls me and says, come hang out with us. We're going to go have Thai food in the city in Union Square. And, um, you know, he's going to be there and he's asking, will you come? And mm -hmm. I'm like, who's going to be there? And she's like, you know, Dave. And I'm like, he wants me to come. So now I'm like really <laughs> nervous. I show up. He sits next to me at the restaurant. He's talking to me again. He asked me out and I said, um, on a date, like me and you together. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, that's what a date usually is. You know, I, we meet somewhere, we go <laughs> eat, hang out. And he's very people, like. I was going to say for people that don't know that are listening, that haven't visited, aren't familiar with, or not from New York. When you say the city, that means Manhattan. Anything other than Manhattan, <laughs> I'm going to the city. <laughs> right. Right. So I, you know, I had never dated outside of my race before. Like I've dated mostly black men, Hispanic men, um, people that just kind of like flirt, but never really go any further to ask you out. Like, oh, you're, you know, I've, you're pretty for a black girl. You know, a lot of people have said that to me and just like for a black girl. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, and they think they're complimenting you, right? you know, and it's like, okay. So I've. Now I have this 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 white guy who I'm attracted to, who's also 
seemingly looking like he's interested in me. And, you know, culturally, I'm just kind of like really like my mind is blown, you know, because keeping it honest and keeping it real with with black women that will date outside of their race, you are concerned that you're not being fetishized, you know, like, you don't. it's not just, oh, you just want to date me because I'm black or because you want to mm -hmm. try some chocolate or just whatever. Like, I, I'm being <laughs> honest here, you know? So I was concerned, but because my friend vouched for him, I said, I'm going to give this a try. You know, I I like him, the person. Right. I'm attracted to him, the person. I like right. his appearance, the person. I don't care if he's white or black. I'm attracted to this guy, this guy here. Right. And that was all that mattered to me. So we got on this date and the date is amazing. I mean, the best date I'd ever been on in my entire life. Um, he left, he went back to North Carolina cause that's where he, that's where he was. And we had mm -hmm. long distance relationship for about three to four months. We got engaged, we, we met in July and by January 1st of the following year, we were engaged. And wow. then by August of the next year, we were married. <laughs> now, when did he meet your son? So he met my son in the fall. We met in July and he met my son in the fall. So I think like around October, because you can't really, if you're in a long distance relationship, you can't really like come up and visit and then just like stay in a hotel every single time and never like actually go to the person's house. Right. Like, you know, you have to establish at that point that, yeah, we're going to we're going to go. I'm going to go to this person's home and visit, meet their family and meet their son and all that other right, stuff. Right. And when he met Devon, like Devon loved him just from the jump. Like he was just mm -hmm. and they're thick as thieves, those two right now. Like they're just they've been wonderful with each other since forever. But he loved him. My husband loved my son and just instantly everything just clicked everything yeah. just clicked and at that time i was in my 30s um i'm 40 45 i'm be 46 soon i think i was like 32 or 31 so i'm a grown i'm let's say i'm a grown woman i'm not like in my 20s trying to figure it out oh i like him no i don't like by that time in your life you already know what's real mm -hmm. for you what's not real and what you're you know what your what your needs are what your you know things that you that are non-negotiable that's like no this is not going to work your deal and breakers. all of that yeah, yeah like all yeah. of that is already passed so yeah. i'm not you've really... already seen the superpower that one gets by becoming older and being grown exactly. folk yes, yes right yes and yeah. i had already been you know been through the dating scene and the guys that were like definitely would not date you if they even know you have a kid but then you add on a kid with special needs and mm -hmm. with um you know abilities and stuff like that forget it they don't want to they don't come out and say it but they ghost you or you know just things like that so right. by that time in my life here's someone that's that's accepting of me um mm -hmm. accepting of my son my son loves them um yeah. i love this person i don't care what color they are i don't whatever like they make me feel good i love this person and that's all mm -hmm. that mattered to me at that point, you know, so, right. you know, but it, it wasn't always, a, you know, easy peasy, you know, going, you know, we had How is it uh, with your family. So my, my cousin, I have a cousin who had, who also was married to someone who's a white woman. So it wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, like who, you know, guess who's coming to dinner or some weird, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like some weird, like, it wasn't like that. My it wasn't mom, a novelty. No, no, not at all. Yeah, and then yeah. in, in the Caribbean, you know, there's 
people of like the people of all races and it wasn't like a huge especially thing in trinidad like, yeah yeah, yeah yeah and my my mom loved 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 my um my, my husband and when i met his family i didn't have any issues mm -hmm. um i i am not the first black woman that my husband has dated so mm -hmm. it wasn't like a shocker when i went to go visit his family that i was black <laughs> so it wasn't like whole you know you know so that was also a, a thing um yeah. as well that made it a lot easier to deal with um but I would say like we went through our usual things where just being an interracial couple, people would kind of like stare at us here in New York City, mm -hmm. um, you know, which even you think is a melting pot of all different types of races. When black women date outside of their race, sometimes you do other black men aren't necessarily always happy with that. People that are that's strangers. Different. That's, di that's different from uh, black men dating a white woman or something. That's kind of like accepted or something like that. Yeah, it's and right. it. It, it's just kind of like when we would get when we would get this treatment or I'll give you a perfect example. We went <laughs> we got married in Jamaica um, mm, okay. and had a wonderful wedding. No issues. We decided to go back and we stayed in another part of the island. We yeah. stayed at a, uh, um, at a, a couples only resort. I will not say the name. Um, okay. I don't want you guys to, you know, a couples, a, a prominent couples only resort that is big in Jamaica. Let's just say yeah. that. Okay. And we, <laughs> right. So we, we, we get there, we check in the first evening, we go to the restaurant, uh, the, the young man comes out cause you know, we're in Jamaica. So everybody's mostly black working in the rest in the hotel. Um, he comes out, he throws the menu on the table and he walks away. And I'm just kind of like, okay, let me just chalk that up to, and no offense to any Jamaicans, but you, you guys know that you're not known to be, you know, the most hospitable people. So we, we let's just say that. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, being here in Brooklyn, you go to a Jamaican restaurant, people aren't that friendly. That's normal. Like we just like, that's normal Jamaican. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I just chalked it up as that. Like, all right, well, you know, this is this fine. Yeah. The next morning we get up, we go down to breakfast. It's another, another man, a different man. Mm -hmm. He takes us to go and sit down, brings us to our table. Doesn't say hello. Doesn't say good morning. Just sits us down, throws the menu on the table, walks away. A different man. By lunch, we go to another restaurant. We walk up. Hi, how you doing? No response brings us to the table, doesn't even bring the menu. And now we're like, whoa, this is a pattern. Like, why is, why is every, why is, why is it that when we show up together and we're, 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 there's a, a male worker, they're treating us this way, they're being mean. And it happened fourth, fifth time. And by the fifth time, we had to go and speak to a manager. Yeah. And it was just like, when we were at the pool, they didn't want to serve us, they wouldn't come over to get us drinks. I mean, it was just yeah. so blatant, like so blatant. And yeah. that was our first experience of being, you know, like having someone treat us that way because they didn't like the fact that the two of us chose to marry and love each other. Strangers mm -hmm. that don't even know us, don't that even, have no yeah. say in our lives, that yeah. your, your, your opinion of us will not make your life any better, but you feel mm -hmm. the need to let me know your opinion of what you feel about me, a stranger, mm -hmm. And yeah. another strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, once upon a time, that would not have been strange to experience in the Virgin Islands uh, either. 
you know, depending on who you were around. So those things happen. So uh, let's switch gears a little. Um, you know, there's something, this, this might sound odd because, so I'm from the Caribbean, I'm from the U.S. Virgin Islands, a black man. My, my wife is from Los Angeles. Her family is originally from Mexico. She's Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. Our son is 15, diagnosed with autism at the age of three. I have not had or had not had any experiences with regard to being a special needs parent that was identified or unique experience as a parent of color or child of color on the autism spectrum. And I had a conversation with someone who has a following on Instagram and had a podcast and we had a conversation and their whole um, brand, so to speak, is based on the black experience as a parent of a child with autism. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I remember when I had my conversation with them, I was kind of like, I don't, I mean, when I walk into a room, if you give me reason, you know, visually, I know if I'm the only brother in the room, right? Right, right. <laughs> if, if, if the energy is, is cool enough, I forget that real quickly, right? Mm-hmm. But my antenna is up enough. But despite that, I still felt like I didn't have any experiences with caregivers, um, you know, respite, ABA, anything like that, that was geared towards, you know, any issue with regard to um, being black. And so this person that has this organization, when I spoke to them, I kind of asked, so so, how did this kind of come about? And the first thing they told me is, well, they said that they're in, in Florida, right? And once they said that, then I just started thinking, Maybe it's a little different because of where you are. They talked about what those experiences were like there. And so I want you to share, if you will, the type of, you know, um, difference, because there's things that unite us all, right? Obviously, right. You said there's no, no, no special needs, just human needs. But there are different nuances to one's experience based on culture and the way people receive you. Tell us about mm-hmm. some of the experiences because the other thing, and I and I know this is true for you, is that nobody likes to use their their uh, their gender, their situation, or their color as an excuse for anything that falls short, per se. But that does not change the fact that there are different experiences that one has. Tell us about some of those some of those that you that you have had that people might take for granted just having a kumbaya moment and not knowing that there's different hurdles to uh, to face as a black parent to a child with autism. Oh, well, I mean, I can say for a fact, um, there are, you know, some, some biases and some microaggressions when you are a black person dealing with people in the healthcare field, mm. whether it is, you know, for therapy or at your doctor's office or wherever, there are biases. Mm-hmm. Um, I would remember, and even to this day, um, when I have to advocate for my son, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm looked at as like aggressive or that she doesn't play. You know, it's so funny because mm. my mom ran into somebody the other day she was watching our son for us and he was spending the weekend and my mom was taking my son to like a store and one of my son's old therapists drove past and yelled out devon they yelled out my son's name and they came out of their car and they started talking to my mom and my mom's like do you know my grandson (laughs) and she's like yeah i used to be his therapist and the the first thing she says like you know devon is a joy he's wonderful you know and, and your daughter she's wonderful 
one thing about her is she doesn't play. She doesn't play. You know, like that's what her her memory of me is, is that not that I'm a good parent, but I'm that parent that's going to come in and be like, listen, this is, you know, or just whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily always like that for someone that is not black. Um, if I want something on my on my son's IEP to be changed and I am adamant that this needs to be changed, I've, I've been ter- told that I'm, you know, I'm being aggressive. <laughs> Whereas someone that is not black might just be like, oh, this parent is advocating and they really mm-hmm. want to have these services and they know their kid. Why can't I just be that same way, you know? Right. Um, or even just little things where I know my son, I know what he needs, and this is this is what I think that he needs, and then be kind of like patted on the head for advocating. Mm. Like, wow, you're you're such a great parent. You know, we we don't see this very often. Or another example, my son goes to camp and I want to make sure that the, the counselor has everything that my son's that my son needs. So I wrote like a camp manual and it's mm-hmm. in a binder and it has like all of his needs and wants, the foods he likes, doesn't like, you know, like everything. Whatever. Yeah, medicate like and it's like a binder and it's like mm-hmm. tabbed and <laughs> just you know. And, you know, somebody said to me, wow, like, I haven't seen any of the other parents do this. And what's the other? Other, The other black parents or the other, all of the parents. You know what I mean? You know, there's a, there's a gender piece to that too, because I don't think I I would be given a lot more leeway than you would as a man mm -hmm. in a situation like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So when I have to, when I, when I would have to fight for certain things for my son and I would have to send a thousand emails and a thousand follow-ups and, you know, it would just kind of be like, oh, I really do have to commend you for being such a great advocate, like patting me on the back. And I'm just kind of, it, 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 it it's weird. Um, yeah. But I noticed that with other parents that I know that are not black, when I bring these things up, they're like, why would they say that to you? My God, I've never heard that before. No one's ever said that to me. And I'm like, yeah, because you're not black. You know, like yeah. there's these biases that comes with that, that that if you're a, first of all, especially if you're a young parent, that's bias number one. Younger right. parents don't know what they're doing. They're not educated. Mm-hmm. They're not smart enough. Number two, I'm a woman, even though I'm a, a woman, but I'm a black woman. Uh, she's, a, you know, I don't know. Number three, I've been told you're so articulate. Wow, your email was so well written. I, you know, then when they meet me in person, it's just kind of like, oh, you're Michelle. Yes, I am. Or yeah, and you know what that means, yeah. Right. Or in at work, they want to speak to the manager. I am the manager. You're the manager. Yes, I'm the manager. So there are all these these different biases that come into play, and they roll over yeah. into being a black special needs parent because when you go and you advocate for your child at these meetings, they don't expect you to know what you're talking about because Mm -hmm. sometimes they've come in contact with some, some other black parents that might not know. They just generalize that all of us are the same. All Mm -hmm. of us are not educated. All of us are, you know, on just whatever, you know, and that has happened to me numerous, numerous, numerous times. Mm -hmm. And you, as a black parent, you do need to have that that community of other parents that understand your experience as well. So having that niche, as opposed to just the generalization of being a special needs parent, yes, we're all gonna have that, but Mm -hmm. 
is someone that is white, they might have gone through that. They might have, right. they might have. When I have posts like that on my page, I yeah. get a lot of feedback from parents of mm -hmm. all races. But right. the black parents specifically identify because that is happening to them as well. Right. And you need to have that camaraderie with someone that understands your story. So um, yeah, like it, it is like you do need to have that. You and do. unity, unity doesn't come just in, you know, what we have in common. We get unity from our differences because look at like the, the, the impetus of the show, just two dads, the conversations we have, we're like, dads don't usually talk about this or they're not expected to, they don't allow themselves to be vulnerable. Right. Women get treated a certain way. Then you're talking about women of color. They, so it's, we need to acknowledge those uh, sub communities and the differences so that we can then, you know, er eradicate the ones that don't need to be there and celebrate the differences so that, you know, that, that people can come together. That's the only way that takes place. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think the biggest challenge that we see is that, you know, like, first of all, there's just a lack of empathy in general, but conversations around special needs uh, really are centering around inclusion. And so really what we're talking about is, an, is, is, a, is a broader sense of that word inclusion, right? As opposed to exclusion. I think many, many folks, I, as you were describing your experience uh, back home, I was thinking about that's a lot of special needs families feel that discrimination, you know, separated, you know, excluded from the general conversation. Even when you talk about your child going back into a regular school, they talk about, you know, going into a, going into a mainstream school, right? How do you mm -hmm. get into a mainstream? And so, so the reality is rather than forcing everybody into the mainstream, we have to look at how do we create inclusion that includes everybody regardless of their, you know, of their, so you're bringing up some amazing points here that a lot of that I don't face on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, my, you know, Jordan's mom and I didn't have those. By the way, she's a lawyer. She was a badass in in IEP meetings, right? She was like, mm -hmm. she was all over it, right? And and uh, they never said to her, "Oh, you're so articulate," right? They never said, right. to her, right. you know, "Oh my gosh, you're so aggressive." Although, you know, I would probably describe her that way because I'm married <laughs> to her, you know. But but the reality is, like, she was she was all those things, but they didn't describe her, and I, I, I think that goes back to what she you wasn't talking. penalized for it, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, anyways, yeah. It's, it, it, it's a fascinating, it's, it's a fascinating com conversation. Um, the I, whole idea, and it's Sean says, you know, our, our we have a, a producer, Sean Hall, who's in who's in Hawaii, who says, you know, major needs, you know, feel included and loved. I mean, that that really is what we're trying to to fight for in all of these conversations. Have more conversations so people get a perspective with through empathy and love, and they go, oh my gosh, we, of course, inclusion, empathy, love, it's all part mm -hmm. of the same conversation. And we're getting so, exactly. this was going to be a real conversation that was going to be, first of all, I've just sat here quietly because you're just like, mm -hmm. I love like listening to this conversation. It's amazing. And, and we're, and we're flying through our time as we usually do. Um, yeah. Sandy, who is an IEP coach. I'll put this up on the screen. Sandy, who's our, uh, our, our, our bilingual IEP expert mm -hmm. blows my mind when an assertive parent of another ethnicity is a surprise is surprising why should that be the case right right yeah, right right why aggressive advocate it should not be surprising we're advocating for your child so yeah thank you sam for commenting um sean i know you have a question you want to ask because we before we you know before we get towards the end of this episode so let's mm -hmm. have that did we cover the things that you wanted to cover sean with with michelle i mean i had one thing i was going to ask her really quick just to yeah. tell us that i know that like we said there's going to be something where the the bite of, that we give or get is going to be smaller than we would like one of the things that 
uh, any parent child uh, uh, faces raising a child with special needs, married uh, or, or single, is the control of time when it comes to the dollar that you have to make and a job and everything. You have found a way working as a personal trainer where you've built your business around your life and the time that your son needs for you. How did that come about and how did you get into um, to physical fitness? Well, um, I used to play basketball in high school and mm -hmm. I was a fresh in, in my freshman year of high school and I was a point guard and I loved basketball. And after I had my son, um, I was trying to find ways to stay stay fit. Mm -hmm. So I would go to the local Y and play basketball or I would, you know, try to start going to the gym. So I started going to a Jack LaLanne Valley uh, oh, Valley wow. to Total Fitness. Yeah, that's how old yeah. I am. And I would I would go and work out and people would just kind of come up to me and start talking to me. I would work out with them. And the, uh, the 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 GM basically came up to me months later and thought that I was training these people like on the side. And Ooh. he says, well, you know, you can't train these people. And I'm like, I'm not training them. They, I've just made friends. They like working out with me. And he says, you should be a personal trainer. And I said, well, what's that? At the time I was working in the fashion industry mm -hmm. and, you know, he says, you, know, you should be a trainer. And I'm like, OK, I'll. Maybe I'll try that. So I went and I got my certification. I was doing that part time while I worked in fashion. And mm -hmm. then eventually I got burned out from the fashion industry and I decided to transition into personal training. But I did not like the commercial aspect of working in like a, a sales gym where you have to mm -hmm. sell packages to make money. So right. I went back to school and got my degree in exercise science so that I could work in fitness, but in corporate where I was just a salaried employee. And right. I stayed in that field since that time. So I dabbled with like, I would always be a personal trainer part time, I'd have my private clients, but I was either like a healthy lifestyles coordinator or a manager or a program manager at some type of fitness um, center. Mm -hmm. And I would always fall back on personal training. So when the mm -hmm. pandemic started, I was working for um, a company that was a luxury real estate company, I mean, a fitness company for real estate corporations. Mm -hmm. And we had to pivot our product from in-person fitness to online, virtual. Right, right. And I ended up getting furloughed and I reached out to some of my old clients from HBO and wherever, like people that I'm still in connect contact with, and they were looking to stay healthy virtually as well. And mm -hmm. I already had the experience of, you know, working with people virtually. So I just did my own setup here. And that's basically <laughs> what I've been doing for the past year. I ended up being wow. not just furloughed, but like laid off completely because yeah. our, our, our industry in, in fitness for corp, like corporate fitness, yeah. a lot of people are not in their offices anymore. So programs like that are like basically gone until who knows, no, who knows when. Mm -hmm. So I've just basically transitioned to that, you know? So what I do now is I have a lot of private clients. It's not something I like advertise as much on my, on my Instagram page. My Instagram page is more for like, you know, uh, just advocacy and my life as a parent. But mm -hmm. that's basically the whole gist of what I've been doing as far as with like my personal training, you know, experience and just kind okay. of health coaching and body positivity and just kind of like working with women and trying to just help them be happy with the body that they have right now. Great, great. Why don't we get let's uh, let's get your Instagram uh, on the screen there. What's your Instagram uh, handle there? So it's dot m hobgood. Okay, good, good. Yeah, we want to make yeah. sure that people know how to reach out to you and follow you. So that elusive yeah. question that Brian was referring to that we always ask at this point in the show. Um, 
depending on how you receive it, it can be very simple or it can be heavy. I don't know. Um, but since, you know, everything that, that we do is about uh, evolution and change and progression and trying to make the world a better place in some way, shape or form, I'd like to ask if you could think of one belief that you held dear and really, really believe it in with all your being and have since now abandoned and you think otherwise. Can you give one example of that? So I would say to that, that initially I was a very cynical person before I was like on social media. Um, I was very much where I thought that people were kind of like full of, you know, S-H-I-T and that mm -hmm. there weren't that many good people in the world. But once I got on Instagram and I started to connect with other parents, I saw mm -hmm. that there are a lot of good people in this world that actually care um mm -hmm. and and care about my son that is like a perfect stranger that they see on a on a square you know in their feed right. and being my authentic self and not some fake persona um that people are actually interested in that you know mm -hmm. so and then the honesty and the real life so i i would say that i now i believe that there are good people in the world and people that are genuine that's that that's great because Social media can be, you know, with all its um, positive uh, potential, you know, such a, you know, reason for society's downfall in so many ways. So for you to have a mindset that's changed for the positive and for it to happen as a result of that, I think is uh, that, that that's tremendous. Yeah. Well, we're at that time, Brian, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. This is fascinating. I, Michelle, I could listen to you talk all day. In fact, I, I got to start following you on Instagram just to get the whole. The whole I'm just I just followed you and I'm I'm looking at some of the posts that you've put already in this. And we suggest everybody else do the same. Yeah, yeah. do it. It, it. You're gonna be inspired, I think. And this was an inspiring conversation. And every time again we get to the end of the hour, like, man, how did that hour go by so fast? So thank you for being here and, and for being a part of this and for everybody who commented and Sandy, thank you for contributing and you know and, and promoting and Sean Hall and Hawaii, thank you for for your contributions, Vili, Joe, all the folks that have that have commented. It's awesome to see you guys. Thank you for this has been an inspiring conversation. And so I always say, you know, at the end of our shows, like empathy and love is what I talk about all the time. Now, now more than ever is, is, is so needed. We talk about folks who are dealing with special needs issues. You have no idea what people are, are dealing in their lives, what, what outside forces influence the decisions that they make. And so be empathetic, you know, know that things, you know, if you come from a place of love, you know, you, you're not going to be faulted. You're going to find the good. As I was going to say, there's mo more people are finding negative things on social media these days. Um, the reality that, that you, you, you're proof that, you know, good things come out of social media. And if, if, if it's used with love and empathy, you know, you're going to have a lot, a lot better chance to connect with folks. So thank you for being here, Michelle. And, uh, I'll let Sean, you know, close us out. And, uh, again, I appreciate, it. I had some technical issues today with my sound, so I'm going to mute here while we, while we close out. <laughs> well, um, again, I, I, Michelle, thank you for being here. Um, this has just been a, you know, a great experience. Um, I'm so thankful for, I'm thankful for Brian. I'm thankful for what we're able to do here, uh, and the platform that we have. And I want to encourage everyone to, um, you know, subscribe to our YouTube page and share as well. And then Brian, we want to make sure that we let everyone know about, um, our special needs summit that is taking place in September as well. The registration link is in the chat for those that are looking at us. Uh, well, at least that should be it, um, that are uh, actually 
watching uh, either on YouTube or on um, uh, Facebook Live. And I want to take a moment to uh, thank uh, the most important and prominent women in my life. Um, that is my mom, Jan, and my wife, Laura. Without either of them, I couldn't attempt to begin to be who I hope to be and sometimes, you know, falter in, in that attempt, but um, the attempt is consistent. And so just remember, again, like we said, somebody out there needs to know that they're loved. They need to know that they're heard. They need to know that they matter. And uh, again, we have more in common than we do otherwise. So thank you for joining us. And if you're watching or you're listening, we love you and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Michelle, thank you for being here. It was uh, welcome. a conversation. Uh, absolutely incredible. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll see you again next time on Just Two Dads.